0: Romans 15.4 reads, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Hello and welcome again to the FBC podcast known as Think This Way. My name is Bryce Beal. I am one of the five. Elder pastors here at Faith Bible Church, and I have the newest elder pastor here with us, Andrew. Thank you for being with us, Andrew. Thank you for having me. And Andrew, I wanted to start today's episode by you just giving us a little background for people who don't know both of your life and how you came to know the Lord.
1: Yeah, so uh, I was raised in a
0: Christian home. My dad's a pastor at a
1: smaller church just outside of Bloomington, Indiana. It's about a half hour south of Bloomington, and. Uh, it, I was raised in a home where basically if the, the doors were open of the church, we were going to be there. We are going to be worshiping, doing all that. Um, after uh, graduating from high school, went to the Army. I was in the Army for five years. It was There was some grief, some trials going on there, but overall it was, a, it was a strengthening time for me to kind of rely on the Lord a little bit more. And then when I got out, came down here to Evansville and met my wife while we were going to USI, uh, my wife being Jessica, Uh, We got married after about three years of dating, and then uh, we've been married for maybe 10 years in October. And then now we have four kids. Never thought that I would have four kids, but we have four kids. The joke is that uh, we met the Brownings. were one of the first families that we met here. And Ethan Browning asked me one day while me and Jess were dating, like, hey, you guys should come over. You can see how crazy life is with four kids. And I looked at Jess, and I was like... That's, that's great, but I'll never need to know what it's like to have four kids we're here <laughs> with four kids. Uh, so yeah, we've been at Faith Bible for going on, I think, almost 12 years. As far as how I came to the Lord, uh, like I said, I was raised in a Christian home. I can remember my dad giving me the gospel message. And just being able to see really godly men walking with the Lord on just a continual, consistent basis. Uh, that really helped him in, in my understanding of what it meant to really be a believer, what it meant to have your life completely focused on Christ. So having those influences and also having my dad continually there to just be a, an influence on me and just to give me an example of what uh, the love of Christ is and what it means to abide in the Lord and things like that, that really influenced me enough that eventually I don't, I don't have that like pinpoint date like a lot of people do, but eventually it did give my life over to the Lord. If there's ever been an example of sanctification in a life, it's mine because I know that I came to the Lord. I have no idea what date it was, but I can also see my growth from childhood all the way up till now. And even, you know, I still have a lot of growth to go. We don't, we're not going to see the end of sanctification until we're in the presence
0: of the Lord. So, Yeah, thank you, Andrew. Everything within me is requiring me to resist the temptation to say all kinds of super nice things about you right now for fear it will be misunderstood as flattery or something like that. But anyone who knows Andrew knows his godly lifestyle, and we're grateful you've had four kids despite the chaos. I'm sure that that has been at times. And your wife, Jessica, has been very, very dear to us. And even as you mentioned your dad in your testimony, I finally got to meet him not that long ago. Looking forward to a conference with him, and I know he'll come back into this story when we talk in a little bit. Because today, we are talking about the Bible and grief. Everyone knows that Jesus in Isaiah 53 was called a man of sorrows. As I was thinking about this episode, because this quarter we've been focused on the Bible as our quarterly focus here at church, and trying to think, what are practical ways we use the Bible? Grieving is a part of the Christian life. It's unavoidable. It's part of every human life. But if we follow a Savior who is known as a man of sorrows, we should expect that our lives are going to be characterized by the same thing. As I was thinking about how does that relate to the Bible, really, it seems to me that just as Jesus was a man of sorrows, similarly, the Bible is really a book of sorrows. I don't want to overplay that, but as I was thinking through the Bible, I was trying to think, how many books can I think of in the Bible of the 66 books that have little or nothing to say about grief? And I had a really hard time. So one book I thought of was, well, Leviticus. These are all the rules for the priests and the sacrifices and the washings. There's not a lot about sorrow in there. Then I thought, but literally the whole book, you're slaughtering animals, you know? And that's sad. I don't know how else to put that. That's a not a pretty happy picture. Then I thought of the Song of Solomon, which seems to me like the happiest book of the Bible because it's literally a wedding. And even Jesus said, or John the Baptist, that you can't be sad at a wedding. You rejoice with the bridegroom. But even in the Song of Solomon, there's that one part where the groom is knocking on the door and the bride doesn't get up in time, and then he's gone. And she goes asking everyone, where did my groom go? So there's sorrow even in the Song of Solomon. Then I thought, New Testament, Second and third John, because they're so short, they don't have time to be sad. <laughs> but when I look them up, second John talks about these many deceivers who go in the world. Third John about Diotrophes, who loves to have first place. everything that causes John as the beloved apostle to be sad, there it is. On the other hand, not only are there almost no books that don't have grief as a part of them, but there are also several books in the Bible that seem to be mainly about grief. The one that comes to mind the fastest is literally called Lamentations. (laughs) So, I mean, you don't get sadder than a book called Sad. Lamentations by Jeremiah, chronicling the fall of his city, Jerusalem, to the Babylonians and the slaughter that happened there. Of course, the book of Job is one happy chapter, and then a bunch of not happy chapters, and then one more happy chapter. That's the book of Job. Then you have in the Psalms, some very happy Psalms, but many of the Psalms are very sad. Psalm 22 comes to mind. God, why have you forsaken me? Galatians in the New Testament is Paul anguishing over this church that's being led astray. And Jude is the same thing. Jesus' half-brother anguishing over false teachers. That's pretty much that entire letter. So I'm just trying to point out that even though we do often take the Bible and put its verses on mugs and inspiring wall art, and that's not bad. (laughs) I don't want anyone to misunderstand that as the Bible is just such a happy book. When you're really reading the Bible, so much of it is so sad. And I think that's because we live in a sad world. But the Bible is a book of sorrows. There are some Christian groups today that don't emphasize that. That's why we want to emphasize it right now before we get into some of the practical pieces. And as I was brainstorming, in what ways can we tend to underemphasize the sadness of the Bible, the grief that the Bible addresses? Some groups that came to mind, I thought, of course, of the prosperity gospel, which is a false system of belief, but is the face of Christianity for many people around the world. And unfortunately... I know this from personal experience because on my mother's side, a whole family there were in the prosperity gospel. The way that you handle sickness and death and sorrows is not healthy. It's mainly, and maybe this isn't across the board, but I think in this system of theology where God, if you have enough faith, has to fix everything and make it happy, when he doesn't, you are left very, basically in denial that's how i experienced it you're kind of left in denial you just can't talk about it or pretend it's not happening or something so that doesn't reflect the bible as a book of sorrows there are some forms i think of pentecostalism even that can be sort of this triumphant you know victory in jesus which we do have but you can almost overrealize it jesus hasn't come back yet and fixed everything and sometimes we can act like he has if we just claim the victory and have positive thinking, all the grief goes away. And unfortunately, that's not true. Another way I thought of it, to bring it more closer to home for us, is what, I don't know what to call this, Southern positivity? (laughs) Or even Western positivity. And what I'm thinking is, no offense to the South. We have family down there, and we love the South. But, um, you know, you can come into a church in the South or not, and, you know, how are you doing, brother, in the hallway? oh, bless the Lord, I'm doing great. How are you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing better than I deserve. I'm just doing... And and his marriage is falling apart, and he's got cancer, you know, and he's not doing well spiritually. So that doesn't emphasize the fact that our Bible is a book of sorrows. It kind of denies it. Western, I'm just thinking like the Southern California, like everything's cool, everything's good. Similarly can be a denial of sadness. Almost wants to imitate Hollywood and pretty everything up. And lastly... I think there's also a generational thing at play where previous generations, which have many, many strengths, for whatever reason, there has been at times a desire not really to talk about if we're struggling. That sort of uh, treatment of the Christian life as if there really are no sad things in it just because we're not talking about it. So hopefully that's enough to just express the Bible is a book of sorrows. And to some degree, our Christian life should reflect that because we're going to face sorrows and we want to do it well. But the question is, how do we use the Bible to grieve well? That is why partly I asked you, Andrew, to be a part of this podcast today, even before we knew we were going to vote on you as an elder. So this was great timing, which by the way, everyone, he's not an elder next year. I totally (laughs) misspoke. I didn't even know I said that until someone told me. Anyways... He's an elder already, okay? I brought Andrew in because he's been going through a very serious trial over the last several months, and we've talked a lot about it. And as we've talked, more than maybe anyone I can think of, you've used the Bible actively to grieve what's happening well. So I wanted to bring you in and just give you this question. As we're talking about using the Bible to grieve well, how have you seen that over the last several months as you've dealt with grief? Yeah, so uh, just a little bit of background uh,
1: for anyone that might not know. I think most of the people, we discussed this before, that most of the people listening to this would know. But uh, the week before Thanksgiving, my dad was, uh, I guess, tested positive with uh, COVID. None of us really thought anything about it. All like, honestly, when he texted me that he was positive, I kind of brushed it off and said, well, enjoy your week off kind of a a thing. Well, he he didn't have a good week off. It was it was very rough on him to the point that eventually he had to be lifelined from his local hospital there in Bedford down here to Evansville. And long story short, he's now on his third bout of pneumonia. Uh, his immune system is so weak that viruses that wouldn't even touch us are now just completely attacking him. It's just it's been three months of watching my dad deteriorate more and more and more. There's never been a point where it's been like a guarantee that he's getting out of the hospital. Uh, more often than not, it's been a, almost a guarantee that he's probably not going to. But throughout it all, one, I've been blessed enough to be surrounded by godly men and godly women that I mentioned this from the, from the pulpit one time while we were, I was doing scripture reading that there's never been a point throughout this entire walk where someone's text me like a friend of Job. Where it's been like, well, you need to do this and you need to do that. It's never been moments like that. It's always been moments of just genuine concern and genuine love of like, hey, how can we be praying for you? How can we provide for you? And so having that and seeing that that is not a outpouring of just false humility or false uh, encouragement. It's actually an outpouring of people that are in the word and continually growing from the word continually an outpouring of their genuine hearts in the Lord for another believer that's suffering. That's been one way that I've seen the Bible being used in grief from an outward perspective. From an inward perspective, the book of uh, Job and the book of Psalms and recently a little bit of uh, First Kings in an odd way have been huge encouragements to me because with Psalms you have those deep laments that you see, They have like Psalms 22, the famous, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That one has probably been the strongest one that I've had so far because within that one you have like this deep groaning, this very deep groaning of feeling genuine forsakenness from God. Like God has forgotten completely about the author. But very quickly after that you also have him focusing on the goodness of God and you have him focusing on the promises of God So you have this deep, genuine sorrow being presented by the author of that that psalm. And very quickly, him kind of shifting gears to make sure that his mind doesn't go too deep in his sorrow, but focuses on the Lord. And something else that I've taken comfort in that is within that psalm, you also have an understanding and a reminder that this is actually a a prophecy and a foreshadowing of the one Savior that we need to to really take care of these sorrows. So you have Christ eventually saying this from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So within this one psalm, you have an example of how to come to the Lord with your sorrows, that you don't have to edit yourself. That's, that's something that I've always found humorous within myself because I, I do this all the time, in that I'm getting ready to pray and I'll think about what I want to pray because, oh, I can't take I can't take this to the Lord as if the Lord doesn't hear my editing beforehand, and then go to the Lord in prayer. Whereas you see in a lot of the Psalms that you can take your genuine, deep, dark sorrows to the Lord. That's where you need to take it. But you need to take it with a heart of understanding that there are promises that you can also rest in, that you can also rely in, And in doing that, that's where you're going to find comfort. But a- another way that... I've used this grief in the Bible is there's, there's days when it's just so rough. It's so hard that it doesn't feel like you actually can pray. Like you're just so far in the pit that you don't even know what to pray or you don't even how to pray. What's great about the Bible is it says clearly in Romans that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you because we don't know what to pray. But on top of that, you can also go to the Psalms again and see these prayers that have already been, written down that even the nation of Israel would use within her congregations that you can you can just pray over the psalms when you don't know what to pray so the times that you're so deep in despair and sorrow the lord graciously has already provided us a way to stay in
0: communion with him yeah I, those are all very good points and i know you could elaborate on all of those for a, a million years <laughs> just about even you sharing about psalm 22 because I do think about how this trial that you've gone through these last months, and everyone's trials are different, and some people will be listening with more severe trials than either of us have had, and others with less, but this has not been a lightweight trial, and it's been such a prolonged one. And when I think of Psalm 22, and the example you are of using, you're using that psalm, you're not just passively, like maybe in other seasons of life you just kind of read it, it's part of your Bible reading plan, read it, To get to psalm 23 you know because that's the good one but when you're really suffering it's amazing how psalm 22 all of a sudden is like highlighted and bold and you're making use of it by meditating on it i mean you're taking that and you're seeing in the psalms a reflection of your own grief that you're feeling and there's something about the psalms being poetry Even though you're not a major poetry type person, there's something about that emotive language that God believed needed and rightly should be a part of the worship of the church and the experience that we have. And even this, when you talk about not editing your prayers, I think of Psalm 139 where he says, even before a word's on your tongue, Mm -hmm. the Lord knows it all together, it reminds me of... I can't endorse this book in every part of it. It's been a little while since I read it, but there's a book called, I think it's The or Uh, Praying Life by um, Miller, I think is his last name. But one thing that stood out to me in that book is he said, kind of to get at us, but he said, before we pray, it's really important you stop and worry first. (laughs) And what he meant by that was don't give God your stale, artificial, like, oh, this is what God wants me to pray, so let's pray it. But stop and think, what are you really worried about right now? Because that's what the psalm, the psalmist isn't, you know, he's, he's completely focused on the grief that's consuming him. And just similarly, as you're going through in those deep, deep places, like you can't just go thinking about everything else. This is pretty powerful stuff. So to be able to bring that to God instead of allowing it to drive you away from him is a significant way you're using the psalm, which I really appreciate that. Andrew, I thank you again for being on here and sharing this. I hope it's helpful to people and that they will take relevant parts of Scripture when they are grieving, whatever they're grieving, and will take the Scriptures in hand and will genuinely use it as a way to process and work through their grief. This might not be something people are familiar with, whether they're part of one of the groups we talked about before where you... Kind of pretend that the grief's not there, or maybe there are others who, when they're dealing with grief, they just explode, or they just clam up, or they just start treating people poorly, or they just ignore it, or whatever it may be. This might not be the way you think about your grief, that you should go to the Bible, to the Psalms, to Job, and use that to process it. But even if you didn't think that way before, as of today onward, may God help you to think this way.